How long will your life be? Our text this morning is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would come to us by the power of the Spirit this morning. We pray that we would look at these things and understand these things, and that you would help us to live our life knowing that life is short. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember my senior year in high school like it was yesterday. The year started with a Jostens yearbook salesman showing us a dramatic video entitled The Best Year of Our Lives. There were senior photos, homecoming, Christmas break. It seemed like this year in our lives was going to go on forever. Prom, senior skip day, graduation. 38 years have now gone by and the class of 1984 is rapidly fading away because as we'll see in Luke this morning, life is short. Life is short. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 16, we're going to begin in verse 19. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. And it says there, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Well, we see that in Luke chapter 16 and verse 14, it says the Pharisees were lovers of money. And when they heard all these things, they ridiculed him. You see, Jesus, I believe here, as he speaks of this rich man, has the Pharisees in mind. The rich man is the Pharisees and the scribes. Notice this rich man here, he dresses in garments of royalty. They're purple which would have likely been drawn from a gland inside of a snail called papura. Very expensive, very time intensive, and so it was the garments that were dyed for royalty and those who wanted to look like they were royalty. Notice that this man also dresses in the rich linens of Egypt, and he feasts as though he's a king every single day. Now as Jesus is saying these words, there's obviously a, a larger, more universal application but the immediate context is this. The scribes and Pharisees, differing theologically, and yet still worked among the Sadducees and the court of Herod. They also worked with the Gentiles, and though they outwardly hated the Gentiles, they didn't mind making money off of the process. They dressed as though they were royalty. They lived as though they were royalty. They feasted as though they were royalty. And notice the rich man here, with all of his incredible wealth for his time and place, he thinks his life is going to go on forever. Going on to verse 20. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. This is the only instance in which Jesus gives a person's name in any of his parables. And notice what his name here is, Lazarus, Lazarus. That's drawn from Eliezer, which means God is the helper. Now you may remember that Jesus has a friend named Lazarus. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. They were wealthy. Lazarus was his friend, and Lazarus in the chronology of the Gospels is soon to be raised from the dead. Lazarus, the real Lazarus, was wealthy, and yet he was poor in spirit. Here we have a poor Lazarus. This Lazarus here is ceremonially unclean. He's got sores. He's got some condition that would make him unclean as a Jew. 
and the scraps that are meant for the dogs go to him, and dogs and Judaism are unclean. The poor man desires to be nourished from the rich man's table, but he leaves this poor man to the dogs. Going on to verse 22. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now we notice here that there's more details given about Lazarus. When he dies, we're given some extra details and we can draw some conclusions from this. Notice that Lazarus is carried by the angels to the afterlife. We notice that he's taken to Abraham's side. It's pictured here as a feast where he reclines at Abraham's bosom as an honored guest. His life, from the perspective of eternity, was brutal and it was short. Lazarus's burial isn't mentioned here. It seems that he probably had an unmentioned common and small burial, but the rich man died. And notice what happens with the rich man. He's not carried by the angels. It's as though he's in Hades and then suddenly wakes up in this place where he is. The rich man died and his burial is mentioned. It would have likely been sumptuous with high praise. People that probably didn't actually like him but are paid to like him at the funeral. There would have been paid hired mourners at this funeral. Big pomp and show for the rich man who's died and is now below. Going on to verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. In the ancient Jewish mind, and by the way, in, in Roman Catholic circles, and Lutherans also believe this, and some Baptists as well, in many communions, Sheol, the afterlife, in the Old Testament period, before the resurrection of Jesus, was divided into two compartments. And you have Abraham's bosom, or paradise, and then you had this chasm fixed wherever this realm was. And on the other side, you had Hades, the abode of the unrighteous dead. And here we see that this poor man is in Abraham's bosom for the righteous. The rich man awakes from life into the afterlife and finds himself in anguish, awakened to torments of a God who is a consuming fire. Do you see that, kids? He's longing to get just a drink of water. Just the tip of his finger in the water to cool my tongue because I am in agony. The afterlife, which lasts forever, reverses this short life. And now Lazarus lives in splendor and the rich man lives in torment. He sees Abraham and the man he disdained in torment afar off and begs for relief for Lazarus to just put his finger into a little water and put a droplet on his tongue. But now, now it's Lazarus who is living in splendor. And now it's the rich man who is in torment. The anguish is like a flame. Whether literal or symbolic, the sins of this life burn forever, and he begs for relief. I believe the flames are real. Notice something else as well. The afterlife is consciousness. It's not simply soul sleep where we go to sleep, and then at the final judgment, we all wake up. But in the afterlife, in awaiting for the final judgment and the final resurrection, people who have died are alive. They're alive, enjoying, enjoying the presence of God, or they are 
in torment. Torment that's like a fire that makes you long for just one drop of water on your tongue. Going on to verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Now notice that Abraham responds, Remember. Remember. He has forever to remember. You know, a lot of times you look at mythology and you see people die and they go into the afterlife and then this life fades away and they can't remember. You see this in movies all the time. People go into some sort of afterlife situation and they they can't remember what this life was like, but not so according to the Bible. The rich man remembers. He remembers. He remembers everything. You had your short life of pleasure and now comes the anguish of judgment. Lazarus had his short life of anguish and now receives comfort. Verse 26 continues Abraham, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross over from there to us. The short life is finished. And friends, I want to say this, there's no do-over, there's no do-over. Kids, this life is it. At your age, it feels like it's going on forever. But when you get older, it starts to go faster and faster and faster and more quickly you realize life is short and there's no do-over. The righteous and the unrighteous who are mixed in this life are separated forever. As we walk through this life, perhaps even in this church building, we've got sheeps and goats mixed together. We've got wheat and we've got the weeds mixed together in this life. But on the last day, those will be separated the wheat and the chaff, the sheep and the goats. And if you're wondering, is there a do-over? Is there an opportunity at the end of this age? Will God say, guess what? You're not receiving judgment after all. If you think God's going to say, guess what? In the age to come, 10,000 years of purgatory, you get a do-over, you get a do-over. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, life is short. Life is short, friends. Verse 27, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now, the rich man here now realizes life was short, and he stirred with feelings toward his five brothers. He was a selfish man in this life, and now realizing that it's over for him, he's got judgment for eternity. Oh, what about my brothers? Suddenly, he has feelings for others beside himself. Please send Lazarus to convince them not to waste their short lives and end up here. Friends, life is short. Kids, life is short. You grow up and you can't wait to get out away from mom and dad to really live, to experience life outside of the church and the faith. Those old fools don't know what it's really all about. I've, I've seen what life could be like on TikTok. I can't wait to get out on my own. You grow older, you hit your stride in your career. Money and possessions are piling up. Promotions. Now you've got the corner office down in a skyscraper downtown. And suddenly you're old, and God calls you to death and to give an account for this short life. Going on to verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, 
let them hear them. What he's in essence saying is they have the word. They have the word. Nothing here about some great apologetic argument. No great philosophical arguments given here. No manifestations of people coming back from the dead, but rather they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. They have the word. Friends, we have the word. We have the word, and it is enough. We have the word, and it is enough. What are we doing with the word? Now, friends, we're a Reformed church. We're a high church. We wear, wear robes. We, we sing old hymns. But guess what? At the end of the day, you cut our veins open, and we bleed Bible. And friends, we've got a world out here filled with people dying every single day, even here in Buda, who do not know Christ. They're going to end up there in a situation just like that rich man where they'll be able to remember forever how they did not hear the words of life and respond to it. Let us take the words of life out into the streets of our community. Verse 30, and he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Let that sink in for a minute. No father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. God's word is sufficient. And so when the atheist tells you, I can't believe in God because when I cry out to God, he won't come and manifest himself inside of a test tube. God's word is sufficient. Faith is a gift of God by the power of the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And never forget this, the devil saw God. The devil saw God for a long time. The devil saw God in the beginning, and the devil saw God through humanity. I don't think the devil gets the presence of God anymore now with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam who kicks him out of the presence of God. But we see in Job, he comes and presents himself before God. The devil saw God and didn't repent. The devil saw God and won't believe what God says. Many saw the back from the dead Lazarus and didn't repent. In just a little time from our story here, when Jesus is giving this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Jesus will have a friend who will be dead for four days. He will come to the tomb and he will call him out and raise Lazarus, his friend, from the dead. But people still won't believe. They still won't believe. Going on to verse 31, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Note that the convincing Jesus speaks of is not Lazarus going to them, but simply rising from the dead. And the irony of all this is this. Jesus will soon be crucified and rise from the dead, and they will not be convinced in a matter of days, Jesus will raise Lazarus of Bethany from the dead, and the rich men will not be convinced. We read these words in John chapter 12, and think about this for a minute. As Jesus is directing this parable, in a short few days, Jesus will actually raise a man from the dead, and these very same people, who are the rich men in our parable, will do this. John chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Think about that for a minute. Jesus has been going around crisscrossing the country, 
Jesus has been preaching the words of life. Jesus has been feeding the hungry. Jesus has been healing the sick. Jesus has been casting out demons. And now here Jesus raises a man who'd been dead for four days, raises him back to life, and these religious authorities, the rich men, seek to put Lazarus to death as well. Why? Because they've been trying to kill Jesus for some time in the gospel accounts. Why? Verse 11. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. James hit the jackpot early in life. Barely into his 20s, he had boatloads of money. Everyone wanted to be around him, and beautiful women threw themselves at him. It seemed like a prosperous life of endless pleasure was stretched out before him forever. But within four short years, Jim Morrison's bloated body was found. He had died from a drug overdose at 27. And now, the music of his band, The Doors, is increasingly a distant memory. Friends, I want to say this. Jim Morrison is alive somewhere in the afterlife. And judging from how he lived, his life in this age, he's probably having all of the burning, excruciating regrets and desires that the rich men in our parable had forever. Brethren, live your lives well. We are so rich in our land. So live like the wise rich who are poor in spirit. Live your lives so that your master may say to you on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant, because life is short. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless us to rejoice in this short life, to make good use of this short life that you've given us. And Father, I pray if anybody in here does not know you, even this morning I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would give them eternal life. For I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.